Hey there, folks. This is Todd and Alan, host of Comedy Above the Pub. That's Cat P to you and me. The pub is fake. The guests are real, virtual, but real. Why is Todd talking fastly? You will find out when you listen to this podcast. We have a guest that needs to get out of here. First of all, here's my producer, Darcy Fyander. Hello, Todd. Hey, how are you? Don't okay. have time to don't have time to hear because we got to get to our guest. Don't have got to our guest. Goddamn time! <laughs> you know what? Yeah, fuck Jeremy Hotz. That's you heard me. Fuck him. Um, be here as long as you want. Okay, I love Todd Van uh, Allen. That's what I thought the name of the show was. And then and then you know you get ready for this one. Where the fuck is Howard? Glassy. Where's Glassy? Um, Howard Glassman joins us, half of the uh, fiercely independent Humble and Fred show, which is available at humbleandfred.com. Did I get that right? I did. Uh, and, you know, we're podcaster, you know, yeah. produce, you know. Um, Howard, it's fucking fantastic having you here. It's, uh, it's, it's a treat. It's a delight. Uh, and, and it's an, I, I gotta tell you, it's a kind of a thrill and an honor that I've become friends with a guy that I listened to on the radio when I first moved to Toronto. Well, you're too kind. And it's, and it's just, it's, it's like one of those things where I was like, you know, if, if 20 year old me kind of patted me on the shoulder and went, Hey, you're going to know that guy soon and go, are we going to rob a bank? Like what's, you know, you'd be like 20 year and you're going to be fiercely disappointed. <laughs> You're going to be incredibly disappointed. Well, listen, man, thanks for having yes. me back. I've, yes. I was thrilled to do the show in person at your Toronto mm-hmm. home, and I'm, I'm happy to be back virtually, and uh, I can't wait to get started. Yep. What do we talk about in this? We talk about your plane. We talk yes. about a lot about comedy. We talk about, uh, we talk about doing jokes. Uh, we talk no, about... We didn't really shit talk a lot of people, which is we weird didn't. for comics. <laughs> we didn't. You know? Yes. I'm pretty sure we, I mean, if you want to do another show where we just shit talk people we know, yes. I'm sure we could fill a couple hours. <laughs> and uh, Tom Van Allen and Suspenders, is there? We answer that question. <laughs> um, of course. Why wouldn't there be? <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right. Uh, Howard's got to get out of here and do another show. And uh, you have to listen to this one, listener. So here we go. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, here's Howard. Here's Darcy. Here's me. Darcy shows up later. And uh, here's the music that starts the whole damn thing. You, I've noticed, now here's the thing, you have uh, just your standard background, Humble and Fred, independent. Uh, what is it? What's the full thing under there? Something Fiercely independent? Fiercely independent. Fiercely independent. Yeah, it was so a long angry process to come up with that nugget. You're, you're, I just love, uh, how how independent are you? Would you say that you're jovially uh, <laughs> independent? Would you say that you're... You're haphazardly independent. No, 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 no. Fiercely. Irre- irre- irreparably, are you? Uh, <laughs> are you passively independent? Right. Um, are did you, you morosely independent <laughs> well, Okay. I am morosely independent. No, I'm not. I'm happily married. Um, what am I kidding? But let me just finish this other story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, was, no, no, so I had always wanted to fly. I never, you know, when I was younger, I was, uh, strangely, when I was doing stand-up, Kind of my first wave mm-hmm. of stand-up, which is long before you were born, Todd. Uh, back <laughs> in the 1980s, <laughs> where I was a road Dude. comic, and I was on the road all the time, and I hadn't mm-hmm. had much experience flying, being from Moose Jaw. My parents didn't have a lot of money. I'd right. never been on a plane. And then I you know, got a job out west. And anyway, I start flying a lot, and I was terrified by it. And so in those days, pre-Google... Mm-hmm. I just started reading about it, and I was very, very afraid of the noises in a plane. Mm-hmm. And those were the days that you could go and ask the pilots if you could, you know, go in the cockpit before you know, ah, jihad. And um, so I don't know why I put that you know in it, there. it used to be people going to Cuba. You know that, right? Like you know, but like no, you know, in the old days the of hijacking, the thing you'd worry about is being hijacked to right. a sunny destination yeah. by desperately independent Canadians. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we want to go to a place that is bereft of the U.S. That's where we want to go. We figured Cuba is probably so, the safest um, bet. Cut to years later. I got to my mm-hmm. early 40s. I was having a bit of a crisis. And I, uh, I was given a ride. They call them discovery flights. Okay. Um, I was given it to, uh, uh, to go on a plane that the instructor just lets you sort of steer the plane. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Sure. And in true obsessive, compulsive um, manner, mm-hmm. I went from never having been in one to right. getting my license in five months. A year later, I was flying twin-engine planes. Okay. A couple years later, I went half-seas on a plane. Right. And about three years later, I got my instrument rating. Uh-huh. And I started flying to cities like, you know, Ottawa for lunch, Montreal nice. for breakfast. I flew to New York several times to stay the weekend in my own plane. Uh-huh. And um, 
It wait, wait, wait. Great. You stayed in your plane? Or you... I flew there, sorry, okay. in a plane. Okay. Myself. Okay. And uh, myself and my buddy and our mm-hmm. two uh, lady friends. Mm-hmm. And landed at Teterboro Airport in New Jersey. And I only say that because if you've ever seen the movie Miracle on the Hudson, right. one of the things, one of the options that Sullenberger, Sullenberg, Sullenberger, whatever, mm-hmm. Sc- uh, Scully, Scully, yeah. Sully, 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 that's it. Scully. <laughs> so I've, I've got no part of his name. <laughs> Let's not right. bring the X-Files into this. Let's, so, okay. anyway. Yeah. He, uh, he, at one point, is, is trying to figure out where he might be able to glide to right. in Peterborough, which is right across the Hudson. Mm-hmm. In fact, the first time I, was, uh, I flew into the zone, I was, uh, my, my friend who was a pilot was doing all the radio work, and I had my head down, instrument flying, and mm-hmm. we broke out of the clouds around 3,000 feet, and I still had my head down, and he got cleared to the runway from New York Control, and he said, you got to look up. And as I, I hadn't even really been paying attention to the outside, he says, look sure. up, and there was the Manhattan skyline, and oh. we just turned, and it was something else. And that is nice. So I went full bore on that for about 10 okay. years, and then... I'm not a, I don't know how uh, much physics you understand, but one of the things that keeps airplanes in the air yeah. is money. And ah. I got divorced okay. and the money ran out. I see. And sadly, I was no longer able to keep airplanes, you know, flying. Mm-hmm. So that is, uh, that, by the way, that is one of the variables in physics that they never discuss. No. Is, uh, sure, this is a nice little reaction you want to have, but uh, what sort of what sort of catch you got behind you here? No, there are, you know, there's, you there's lift, there's a drag, there's mm-hmm. the, you know, the forces of flight, and the fifth force, force is... Um, Do-re-mi-money. Money. Um, um, I, I saw some really funny things. Let me change the subject. Sure, I know sure. it's your show, but I, I saw some really funny things the other day on your... Uh, I guess they were some cards from Write'em Up, and I'd yes. only done the show once. I loved That's it. Right. But man, there's some funny responses to the comedians really fun Uh uh-huh and there is and and that by the way is what i love about the show in so many ways is is the it's the two aspects of it where it's kind of like a delayed roast yeah it's a regular stand-up show so that right there i love then it's the delay of the roast it's the audience kind of buying into it like first time viewers i'm so blessed that every single show Yes, I have a, I have a, a a bunch of people who come regularly, and they're like, "Oh, when's the next one?" Like, we're already getting requests to go to the second location of Comedy Bar, the one right. on the Danforth. Have you done that one yet? I have not. Okay, no, I haven't. Yeah, um, you know, I'm in Ottawa now, right? I have a sense of yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. Was it? Was, is it the the you know the the Parliament buildings that we have right here? Is this the? Uh, well, no, I think is I this saw the Peace you Tower the fuckhead rally in January. Selling, yes, that's um, right. Yeah, that's what I call it. By the, the way, the fuckhead rally. Yeah, rally. yeah, they're um, you know what those guys. Here's what I'll say about those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the Ukraine, when the war broke out in Ukraine, those yeah. guys should have all been super embarrassed to ever use the word freedom yes. again. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So, I have been saying it's like faces. Yeah, they're <laughs> fucking idiots. Like, um, seriously, yelling freedom, freedom from what? From yes. What drive through Tim Horton yeah. drive through lineups? Yeah. Like, what, as, what are you looking for freedom from? As I, I take as, my jacket off. So do it. Do it. See, look at that. You're getting all fiery. You know, Fred's, Fred's not here to take the other side. So now it's just like two guys going, yeah, and a fucking other thing. You know, that's it. Um, <laughs> Believe me, Fred's on this side, too. It'd be the three of us yelling. <laughs> um, he um, the as, as I say on stage, um, you know, I have that look about me. That, uh, you know, I should have been down there getting some Parliament Hill barbecue in tub time because right. this is the look oh I got. But, you know, we'll uh, talk about a bunch of MAGA wannabes. Like, seriously. Oh, shit. Um, yes. Anyhow, you're in Ottawa. Write them up. Yes. It's a really funny show. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Um, and we'll have you back. We'll have you back for sure. It's, my problem is your schedule is fucked. Yeah, it's I don't pretty know. gross. I, don't like, know I was coming down do. now to do the your show. And then right after you, I'm doing a... A friend of mine's uh, Sirius XM show, I, I think you know him, Jeremy Hotz. Yes, of course, Jeremy Hotz. But I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. I know you know who he is, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if you like, have a personal. Je- Jeremy Hotz is one of the one of the reasons I took stand up as seriously as I as I do, because when I first landed in Waterloo, um, this I believe this was before. I believe this was before I found the. Um, the Jesus. the club in Kitchener, and so and then I, and and the story behind that is my, I was stranded in Waterloo at Thanksgiving, and I had um, just time to myself, so I went and I saw 
uh, just went downtown by myself and none of my friends were there because they had all bugged out. And I found the Kitchener Yuck Yucks and I ran to it breathlessly. And I said, like, do you have a show tonight? And they're like, yeah. And because this is my first comedy club show ever. And I'm like, you know, are you sold out? No, we're not sold out. It's fucking Friday of Thanksgiving. It's like, okay. Uh, can, can I get a ticket? Yes. And like, I didn't have a ride back. And the couple I was sitting with at the, at the table, they said, well, where do you live? Oh, we'll give you a lift afterwards. Like, you know, of course this was like 88, right? Yeah. So, you know, no. yeah, you, you weren't worried about being duct taped in a, in a trunk. car. Right. Um, but my, uh, but my buddies before this, um, one of the campus bars put on a comedy show and they brought in yuck yucks. And Jeremy Haas was the headliner, and he brought me up on stage because I was dressed like an idiot. Uh, it, I'm just just going to just let you picture this right now. Um, Todd Van Allen wearing a T-shirt and suspenders. Nice. Did he get laid a lot? Yeah. Only time will tell. He did not. <laughs> so... Well, for, uh, all so you, he, for all the people in the 80s that love that Robin Williams vibe, listen, right. I've got a headshot from uh, like 83, same thing, baggy pants, suspenders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know Jeremy because in the most of the middle 80s, I spent time as a Yuck Yucks comic full time. And, and, right. and of course, to your point about my schedule now, doing stand up for me is like every couple of months I go out and do a few shows. I <laughs> go back into a club and get if I have a gig like I got a gig coming up in June mm-hmm. for money. So I'll go to a club and do two or three sets just to get a few minutes on stage. But in those days, I was doing it full-time, and the guy that I worked with the most was Jeremy. The first time I came to Toronto, I stayed at Jeremy's house. Jeremy was the first guy. He always calls me glassy. He's like the first guy. Classy. Glassy. Glassy. He always reminds me of this, and he will today, that he videotaped me hammered coming back from a show where I was being all (laughs) drunk and happy, and then I started, like, he started filming me, and I started, like, Bruce Lee kicking his garbage cans. Right. And, oh, yeah. So back, also keep in mind, back then videotaping would mean like the oh, no, camcorder, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the VHS tape slammed into the you side know, of it. Camera, you see, an ENG camera, there's a reference. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Jeremy and I worked together a lot, and, and this is where I'm going with this in terms mm-hmm. of your development as a comedian and, and whatever development I've had. Jeremy's <laughs> act at the time was very much like mine. We co-headline quite a bit, Jeremy and I, mm-hmm. because we're both a little bit high-energy guys. On This is Jeremy on stage, high-energy. Mm-hmm. He used to do his act. He had like the the uh, weightlifting unitard underneath his yes. clothes, and he did the, yes. the whole thing. It was ridiculous, very right. high-energy. Mm-hmm. But over time, and this happened, a lot of it happened, uh, um, not that I fell uh, uh, sort of out of touch with him, but I stopped doing stand-up. I started doing radio here in Toronto, mm-hmm. so I didn't see him a lot. And then I remember seeing him at a JFL thing, and he was—he had developed this character. The funny thing is, I was—it was the character. Yeah, the—it was the character who he really was. The guy mm-hmm. on stage is who he thought he should be. Right. And when he became the guy who he really was, you know, I—I I sort of bug him now because I remember when we were playing Yuck Yucks in mm-hmm. Calgary, Edmonton, Victoria, in front of a couple hundred people, and now he's at Massey Hall mm-hmm. in front of a few thousand people. You know, I'm super happy for him, but it's like, you know, I just, it's a great example of somebody finding their voice in this business yep. and having great success because of it. Yep. That is, that is the key. And it's wonderful when you see a comic do that. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the other sad part is though, is that, or not the sad part. I mean, like, it, like it can, it can drop audience from you, but it will also gather it to you when you do that. When you, when you actually find yourself, cause I'm finding more and more, like I, I, I say this on here all the time. Like I have to make deals with myself to not, okay, you do one joke about your dog and then you get to do the political stuff that's burning your ass right now that you got, right. that you got to do. And so I have noticed that my stuff has become way more political and, and, and much more social commentary. But the thing that I've noticed is even so, and, and this is Ottawa, by the way, you can lose half your audience like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and people buy into it. They're like, they, they will go, uh, like, apparently I'm, I'm thankful that I'm able to deliver it in a way that is not alienating. There's still comedy to it, but in, I'm, I'm able to kind of burn that off. And, and because I've built in that honesty, I'm not, I'm not doing the thing that I should do or that I think that I should do. I'm not, I'm not portraying no, I know what the, well, the what act that saying, I need to be. It's, it's I'm being me that. just larger. I mean, I'm, That's I'm. It. A, a bit older than you. I'm not sure how many years, but I can tell 28 you. 28 years older than me. Look at us. 
What's that? <laughs> You're 28 years older than me. Look exactly. at us. Look at us. I know. Eh? Eh? Um, but here's what <laughs> happened to me is, and I think what you're describing is audiences have a sense of when they're being, you know, shined. Yes. And, and eventually you can only sort of fool them for so long. And it's a scary thing to say things honestly. I, I've never really been able to do it. And I'll be honest, I, I've never quite got there on stage. I got there as a radio guy mm-hmm. because I've done so many hours of it that it's just worn me down to the point where, you know, I, I, just, I do so many hours a day. I do like eight or nine hours of this every week. So there's a point where you just kind of give up pretending. You just go out. Yes. I'm going to tell you this stuff that's like, I got a whole prep sheet. I, I know the audience can't see this, mm-hmm. but this was this morning's oh, yeah. show. And all they are are just little one or two words that I know I'll be able to riff on that. Mm-hmm. I just, I must, I just trust that it will be there. And what you just described is this great place on stage where you go, okay, I got enough experience. I'll, I'll get the charming dog bit out of the way. Mm-hmm. I'll get them to like me because that's part of our job. And yep. then I'm going to tell them some truth. Yeah. And they have a way of sussing that out. And there's something about authenticity, Todd. And I know you know this, but I'll just say it again. And I I have found it as a radio host, a broadcaster, and whatever, presenter, that the audiences will forgive you stumbling, losing losing what you were going to say. They'll forgive anything as long Mm -hmm. as they realize it's happening in real time. Because there's something intoxicating about watching somebody actually having a real authentic experience in front of you. Mm Mm-hmm. No, it's true. It's, and and uh, so I, I come across this all the time. And, and, w- and what you're saying is exactly true. I completely understand that once you once that well is dry of stuff that you think you should do or ought to do, once you once you've burned through that, you're like, well, I guess we got to open up that box. And then you're like, <laughs> scary. Yeah, box. here we go. And it's it's funny because like I will um, uh, I, I, I will uh, uh, teach it. I do stand up at Second City. I'll, 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 do, yeah. I'll do instruction there. And so stand up one, the first class is the goal is over seven weeks. They should be, they should have five minutes material, just five minutes. And I don't care what it is. Just make sure it's funny. And that sort of thing we work through and whatever. And the big problem that they find is coming up with premises. And, for, and the, the bigger problem is explaining to them what a premise is. Right. You know, what's a premise? Well, it's the idea of the joke. And how do you do that? Well, it's just the thing that you think up that you think is funny. Well, if it isn't funny, we'll fix it in post. Don't worry about it. So, so <laughs> That's right. And and so, you know, just, just come up with ideas. So, like, there's a reason you wrote these things down, so let's do it. And so, like, when you're sending them into the world, you go, okay, come up with 10 premises, right? And then the next week, come up with 10 premises. And so they have to do this kind of every single week as, as they're doing it. And what I love, what I adore about this process is by week three or four, they've kind of burned through all of the jokey joke ideas that they kind of came armed with. There's like, oh, they got they got this manila folder on their arms like, oh, John Rickles doesn't have a boners and weed and weed, Tinder and porn. Those are your three. Those are your I know I I could name. I'll guarantee you I could name a few more premises Mm -hmm. than a 20 something is going to because I'll tell you why, because both of my daughters are very funny. Mm -hmm. um, One of my daughters thinks she's written most of my acts, but it's because it's I I do a lot of shit about her. But I I, I, they went through the process with the precious. Mm-hmm. at Second City. Yep. And I, I remember talking to Precious. She said the same thing. All yeah. their premises are just porn, tender, porn, weed, tender weed. All that. Yeah. So so once they burn through those, so then they go, the, those are the ones they kind of had right off the top. Then right. they start trying to come up with Joe and they're just like, oh, I did this around the house or my dog did this or I hate it when my boyfriend does that. It's like, okay, so you're doing all those things. Now what? And it's like, well, now some people have the opportunity to write stuff that other people, the 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 majority of people do, are not associated with. So that's where you get. They talk about so I'm gay or so I'm blind or so I'm trans, and they start burning that material. And then, and this is my favorite part. This usually happens around week four after they've burnt through everything that they think they can do. That's when the fun stories come out, and it's like, so I used to work for Cirque du Soleil. What? And then, ah. yes, is that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, my time as a lawyer, you know, when my dad worked for the mob, Jesus Christ, when were we going to hear this, right? <laughs> and right. It's, it's all well, that stuff. I have to get through my out. Tinder trans story first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is, though, there's, and, and part of being a comedian, as long as you and I have been doing this, and it's funny because you said that you saw Jeremy in 88. I came back yeah. to Canada in 88, and um, 
Jeremy actually helped me impress my uh, now ex-wife, still a very oh, good okay. friend of mine. And here's what it was. <laughs> I moved to Montreal. I just came off the road. I've been on the road for years at this point. So I was tuned. Like I was in, like now when I go up and do stand-up, it's like first couple of minutes, it's almost like trying to remember what your golf swing was like. Right. Um, uh, do you want to wait till uh, Darcy comes on here? I'll finish the story. Oh, sure. That's, that's fine. We're, we're, we're being joined by our guest this week. Darcy Finder, my producer, Humble Howard, is here. We just, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm a bit of a control freak. Hey, Darcy. <laughs> hey, Darcy. So, um, Have you two met? Want to do that? Want to I, do it? Should I finish the story? You want yeah, to edit it? Yeah, finish the story. Finish the story. Darcy will catch up. He's, he's, pretty, he's pretty quick. So, so right. Jeremy happens to be headlining. This mm-hmm. is the week I moved to, Mon- a couple of weeks after I moved to Montreal, I should say. And I've met this, I asked this woman out on a date. Mm-hmm. And then I see, and this is when Ernie Butler was still alive. Right. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Actually, was at my, again, <laughs> Ernie. Ernie was at my wedding, for God's sake. But I sure met him this night and he didn't know who I was, but Jeremy was headlining and I brought this young lady. I was 28 and she was mm-hmm. 24 and I, and she was a big comedy fan. I said, oh, well. My friend's headlining at the Comedy Nest. Let's go down and see him. It was Jeremy. And Jeremy talked to Ernie. This was only like a week and a half after I've come off the road. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, you should put Glassy up. You know, he'll do okay. And I go up and do like 10 or 12 minutes. Sure. But like, I don't know what she was expecting, but she wasn't expecting the thunder. Because, you know, it's like when you're in your like, like I was my prime of like just so tuned to it. Right. And uh, she thought that's what it went like all the time. Of course, you know, it's, it's not the case. But I always laugh when Jer- like I'll say that when I see Jeremy later, I'll tell him, you know, mm-hmm. like that was our first date. And she always remembers that she got to see me do my act. Now, I, mean, I know if you guys have had this experience of having a young somebody you're interested in come and see you for the first time. That's how I met my wife. Well, it, but, you know, it's yeah. a pretty nerve wracking thing because, you know, if that first time, if you suck or have a tough time, they think, well, that's you. Right. Right. So my her imprint of my stand up was that was probably one of the best sets I'd had in a long time. Yep. And it's been downhill ever since. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. dude, dude, there is nothing better than bombing in front of your wife when she's brought her work friends. Mm. That was that's a glorious best. evening. Like and when it, and when it's. Like silent, yeah. like you like hit the punchline, got the pause, heard the air conditioning kick in like yeah. it's that and like, oh, shit. Now I got to dig. And this is like got them back by the end. But and like, you know, and her boss oh, is man. like, you were great. It's like, oh, you don't know comedy, friend. Uh, and um, hey, Darcy. Hey, guys. Sorry. I'm late. Hey, don't worry about it. We're just having a talk about comedy and airplanes and, and we'll get back to a few of those things. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up the, um, uh, uh, I have an Ernie Butler story as well. Yeah. Um, uh, who doesn't? Who, who uh, hasn't? Hey, well, who has you, how do you call yourself a comedian if you haven't done Coke at your wedding with Ernie Butler? I mean, come sure. on. Well, okay. I, I didn't, I didn't get a chance even at the first wedding. I think he had long since passed on and, uh, oh yeah, my wife hated stand up, So I, uh, so I, I didn't get nice. to do it for a while, but I'm back. I'm back. Got the right wife now. It's very yeah. nice. This, this, um, this stand-up loving wife of yours is sweet. She's <laughs> she's a delight. In, in fact, I can I can say at, at the time of recording today, um, we uh, we uh, shared fifteen years together. Wow, not married, but we've been together for fifteen years as Good of today. You, man. And uh, I came down uh, and said uh, I had I was going down for another record and stuff like that. So I had like you know the laptop and the water. And uh, she's she's off her calls because we both work from home. And so I just kind of walk in. I just kind of kiss the back of her head like, and I go, "Happy anniversary, sweetheart!" And she goes, "What?" And I went, uh, "Yeah, it's uh, 15, 15, 15 years we've known each other today." She's like. Is that today? And I went, yep, that's today. He's like, that's you great. wrote that down? He's like, yes, I wrote that down. I thought I thought it was information that might be important for a later time. And uh, she's like, I always associate with the long weekend. Yes. And it was a short, it, it, something happened and like the long weekend kind of happened that. So like, yes. So yes. Good so, for you. Yeah. So were if, you a podcaster at that time or did she meet you pre-podcast? I don't know how long we've been doing this. Let's do that math. A long time. Well, who is yeah. Dar- is Darcy your co-host in this podcast? Who's he's Darcy? A co-host, he, he seems producer, like a very nice human. Yeah, he he very much is. We like what co-host he brings. Co-host is strong. Um, <laughs> technical producer. Technical producer. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to take this audio. I'm going to take the end of it, and I'm going to move it to the front, and I'm going to ship it. That's it. <laughs> 
And sometimes <laughs> well, I say this, things this like this. This seems very complicated for it's, a little goosey goosey you know, podcast like this. I, I know you're only in radio, Howard, so you won't understand the technical <laughs> I didn't, I didn't understand aspects. anything. He just, it went sailing over me. <laughs> they take I'll the end part see, I started and they with move a jacket it. on. Then we got fiery, and now I'm all sweaty. <laughs> he, uh, okay. What was your Ernie Butler story? So my Ernie Butler story is, and this is when I started out in Stanford. This was like the first round before I had moved to Toronto and before I had... Um, uh, I had, I had won the funniest person in Canada contest, I think by this point, and I was still living in Gananoque. And so the Kingston area was, was where, where I was, where I was finding my, finding my, uh, uh, my lodgings and the Kingston summer festival put on a comedy night from the comedy nest. So it was a whole bunch of people. Um, God, what's his name? Rogers, um, used to live in Montreal and now he's a, a television writer in, in, um, in L.A. Uh, I know who you mean. Not, his, uh, I was going to say John. Uh, John Rogers. John Rogers, right. That's who it is. And so it was John Rogers on there. David Acker was on. Um, and uh, a whole bunch of other people that I probably know now, but blanked on because I was fucking terrified. Yeah, no because kidding. it was it was my first theater show and it's Kingston. So like, you know, we would go to this theater all the time. So I used to see like, you know, plays there. And now I'm on this stage and it's going to be kind of fun. And the way I did is I could just kind of like approached... You know, the, I, I called the comedy desk and I'm like, Hey, you're doing this show. I'm a local guy. I was wondering if I could do an open spot. And they're like, yeah, yeah, just show up. You know, I guess so I, so I guess, you know, that was Ernie. And so I show up and Ernie is, well, Ernie, right? Big guy jacket. And he goes, you the local kid? And I go, uh, yes. I'm t I was like, you do five minutes. You go one minute over. I will fucking kill you. <laughs> I'm like, okay, right. Uh, okay. <laughs> so. Uh, again, and so I'm now nervous, but I have time this set. I've done it in Ottawa and, and, and ever, I, I know the set is five minutes. It's no question. And so I, 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 I get up there. And again, this is my first theater show. Wow. So it's, it's sold out. And, uh, I go out there, it was a local, local favorite, Davin Alley comes out. So I come out and I do my first joke and I'm not ready for the wave the that happens. It makes. It's crazy. Where, where you go, it goes back to the, and then it comes back and hits you. And I went, Oh my God. Like, like people saw me go, Ooh, like that, <laughs> like that. And so I went, Oh my God, this is great. And then I'm like, wait, fuck, this is eating up time. So now I'm like, okay, what do I do? And I was like, shit. Okay. So then do the next joke. I'm timing that one. It's like, and my buddy, uh, <laughs> I get on stage, the show ends, and um, uh, my my buddy was in the audience. I said, hey, he say, what'd you think? He goes, hey, you were great, but uh, why'd you keep looking at your watch every 10 seconds? <laughs> it just, that's, that's, <laughs> he says, well, let me introduce you to the booker. That's why. So. That's funny. You know, yeah. I, I had a similar experience, but different. I, I wasn't threatened. I The first time I did a big theater, was a couple thousand people. You'll love this because I opened for Howie Mandel. Of course. Along with Dave Coulier of Full House and Canadian legend Lou Dinos. Jesus Christ, that's a show. And the guy, similar thing, he comes to us. So I'm doing, I, got, I can't remember. Let's say I did 12, Lou does 15, Coulier mm -hmm. does 20. There's an intermission and then Howie. All right. And, uh, the guy comes in and says, okay, you, 10, and he's being very yep. regimented, whatever. Don't go a second over. And he leaves, and I'm a little freaked out. But, you know, I'm, at this point, I'm been do I've never done a theater show, but I've been doing it a long time. So I'm like, okay, 12 minutes. And then Howie pops his head in. And here I did two shows with him, Edmonton and Calgary. And he said, listen, guys, <laughs> he said, don't go way over, but just fucking relax. Do whatever you, right. you know, do what did he say. He said, you're 12. I go, he goes to 15. Like he was like, he doesn't give a shit no. what happens before he comes on. Right. He knows he's doing an hour 20 after intermission. He doesn't give a shit. Right. But or was, there's, there's the other corollary. Pop in. Pardon me? There's, there's the other corollary to that. And I have done this as a headliner as well, which is like, hey, you know what? If you want, if, if, if you go long, don't worry about it. Cause all that means is less time for Toddy. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, that's the best thing is I did Yuck Yucks just a couple weeks ago and I can't remember who that. I think it was Jeff Paul was a headliner. Oh, I yeah. went a few minutes over and that's what he mm -hmm. said. He goes, thanks, buddy. I didn't feel like doing yeah. the extra five. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that it, it's funny, like, you know, the people outside of comedy don't really, you know, sort of see that side of it or understand how important it is to do the time that you're told to do. But uh, I'm just basically I'm just killing time because I'd forgotten what I was going to say. So uh -huh. 
Uh, let me go back to something that, that you yeah. did. And Darcy, Darcy, you didn't. When you held up your notes from this morning's uh, thing, did I see Norm McDonald ashtray? What was it? Uh, Norm McDonald, um, where is it? Uh, Norm McDonald Netflix special. Netflix special. Because okay, he's got yes. one coming. I, yes. I got a great Norm story. Let's hear that. You know what? It's not a great story. Let me, let, me, let me just, let me backpedal. Okay. It's a, you know what? It's a fiercely independent norm story. It's a fiercely average norm story. It is violently okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's something. So in the middle eighties, if you were yuck yucks comic, like I was and, and Darcy missed, uh, me telling uh, you know Todd that I, I'm buddies with um, Jeremy Hotz. I'm doing his podcast right after this, so I would mean you know typically a week would be Jeremy and I, and then I came I'd come to Toronto. I was living in L.A. Come to Toronto, you do like Toronto, Mississauga. I know what I was going to tell you the Donnie Coy story quickly. Okay, oh, I'll, write, I'll write it down. You do the norm, and then I'll bring you back okay. to Donnie Coy. <laughs> Remind me of the no. This is I got to tell you this because this is a headliner story. Okay. The first time I did Hamilton, Donnie Coy comes up to me and he says. How you doing? I'm manager. I'm like, oh, great. And I think I was, I don't think I was even headlining. I might've been midline. Maybe I was headlining. Mm-hmm. He goes like, do, do, do any uh, fart jokes? I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, I go, not, not really. Mm-hmm. And he goes, good. Because I do, <laughs> he wanted me to know that he does the fart jokes in that club. And I'm right. like, they're okay. all yours, buddy. <laughs> they're all yours. <laughs> I'm doing a one-nighter with Norm McDonald. I just, I just love, I, I, I love, know? I love picturing like a comic right there and just like you know sneaking his arm under his hand under the arm. Go, oh no! Okay, all right, <laughs> back it up. I just thought it was one of those because lots of times headliners will say, "Listen, do you do a thing about whatever you want?" Just not to you know because mm-hmm. I, I got a whole twenty minutes on that. Oh, okay, right. that's fine. But I, I okay, pause there. I have never understood that aspect of it. Like, like if they've got, if they've got 20 and you've got 20, that I get. But if it's like someone opening and they got like a three minute, four minute throwaway line about the thing that doesn't encroach on, on your subject matter or your take on the thing, there should be no reason. But you've, listen, you can't have been in this game as long as you have and not have a headliner say, Hey, do you do that? Yeah. Several times. And by the way, you know how you solve that? It's this. Yeah, Howard was talking about the uh, protest down at the Parliament buildings. This, and yeah, then you just roll like in. I was and you working with Mike McDonald, and I also did a thing with the tennis racket, right? <laughs> or whatever right. the fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked. I worked a lot with Mike in the early days. I too. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm working with Norm McDonald, and we get sent. And I don't mm-hmm. know at the time. I don't know Toronto at all, mm-hmm. so I couldn't tell you. All I know, it was an hour or so drive with Norm and I on the way to a one nighter in between, you know, Hamilton and Toronto, mm-hmm. and. We do the show and we get there. And, and, and here's the thing. It was in the 80s, there was one-nighters. At, at, it would be like a, a, a disco. And at some point, they'd say, okay, we're going to stop the music now. And here's some comedians. That was typically, <laughs> you know, it wasn't even a stage. So there's, I'm emceeing. I do like a half an hour. And Norm's Norm McDonald's. So he's going to do 45. And he's not Saturday Night Live Norm McDonald yet. But not too far before that. Right. And we're on a stage. We're actually, no, we're on the dance floor. And mm-hmm. the audience is on a railing above us, looking down on us. <laughs> so as you know, that's not the best environment for stand-up. <laughs> and I go up there and I, you know, I, I wasn't like the worst I've ever done, but not great. And I just, you know, you're yeah. doing your time. So 25 or 30 minutes of pretty hardcore bombing. <laughs> then Norm MacDonald gets up there and you- he bombs too, but... Not to me, not to me. It wasn't. It was so fucking funny, but it was just me and about three other people laughing. And I was so impressed by the fact that he just did it and didn't give a shit. And I not here's the part of that. I know it's not a great story, but wasn't that long later that he became that guy? And I always thought to myself, I wonder if all those people and wherever it was, Barry. Right. I wonder if they ever remembered how they just hated that guy so oh, yeah. much, mm-hmm. and now he's doing Weekend Update. Yes. But there it, was a guy, you want to talk about fiercely independent, and the last thing I'll say about Norm, and I don't know if you ever had this experience, but I watched some Norm this morning, and I was still talking like him when we started the podcast. Oh, yeah, 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 you totally do. I, if you, I, I could tell if you worked with Norm recently, because yeah. the first 20 minutes of react would be like, ah. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, see, you're, fierce, you're fiercely independent there. Not, 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 tim- not tim at all with your independence. And Sitting there, independent. Like I said, I was, I, because I was going to talk about this special, I was watching some 
some a documentary on Norm this morning. Mm-hmm. And again, I started the Humble and Fred show this morning going, ah, Fred, eh. <laughs> just I'll, I'll pause for a moment because i do have it another a fiercely mediocre okay norm mcdonald story. all right no i i wouldn't say so at all i mean like first of all there's two things that i love uh uh stories i love about about comics uh i love hearing about uh people who have who, who like their early days like when they started out and what they were like then before they got big and also every comic loves them bombing stories yeah. like just like because every single bomb is either comes it, whenever you get a bombing story from a comic the assumption is always that it's the audience fault like that is the, the cuz your your brothers in arms you're always going to take the comedian side of it but I love the ones where they go, and this is completely my fault. And the oh, here we go. It's like I did this, and it was. Well, here's the thing: we know as comics too, though. Like I told, I told you that story, and I said we were on a floor looking up at yes, the audience for sure. You know, it's not You're my dead. fault. You're dead. You're dead. You're so dead. Yeah. I did one. Listen, I had a, I had a couple bombs in the last few years that were situational like that. I mm-hmm. did one at that. I don't know if you ever did the Delawana Inn or whatever. And it's a bunch of circular tables. Yes. Room lighting. Mm-hmm. The managers, it was me and a couple of really good comics, Ryan Dillon. Yeah. And we all sucked. But the manager says to me, oh, are you the MC? I said, yeah. He goes, well, listen, before you uh, start, I need you to do uh, some raffle draws. I go, uh, um. <laughs> I said, okay, but I'll tell you what. Why don't I do that after I open, and I'll do it in between comics. He goes, no, 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 this is how we do it. You start with the raffle draw. So later, I remember texting my girlfriend. She's like, how did it go? I said, well, it started with the raffle draw and got worse. <laughs> like, because no one introduces me. I just wander up on stage right. with a bunch of fucking tickets. Uh huh. No, and they're all sitting in circles again. Right. One of the signs is circular mm-hmm. tables. People are half facing away. Mm-hmm. Lights are room room lighting. Yep. yep. Oh, and here's the other thing. Now you got people pissed off they didn't win fucking golf clubs. <laughs> I know. So they, I think they thought I was some guy working at the hotel. And why is he starting to talk mm-hmm. about his kids? Right. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So I I have this story and I wasn't part of it. it this was just told to me and I know you're going to know this guy Gary David. Do you remember of course. him? Yes. Gary so, David. Oh fuck, he's old. Yeah, so Gary I David started a show. I know what you're thinking. Oh fuck, yeah, fuck, he's two, old. Two yes. Teeth. That's right. Oh fuck, he's old. <laughs> he had two and he kept them in a mug up in his hotel room. Um <laughs> and his mustache was yellow. Right. It was awesome. Right. This is my favorite Gary David joke and it gives you a sense of not just him but the time frame that encapsulated when he was performing. Hey, sir, can I borrow, can I bomb a smoke off you? I left mine in the machine. That's right. <laughs> so that. much to unpack there about what time frame that was. So, I worked with Gary David. Of That's course he did. That's how old I am. We all did. We all did. I started out and he was like one of the guys I saw. I was like, fuck, this guy's a Gatling gun of jokes. We're, we're now, I'm probably, again, I don't know your age exactly, but I'm approaching the age now that Gary David was when I was in my 20s. Sure. And, well, he looked like he was in his 60s. Right. I'll tell you one last quick story because you know Ryan Long? Yes, of course. Really yeah, I know funny Ryan comedian. Yeah. So we did that gig in... Cambridge. This is just a couple of years ago. And it's a neat little room. They get a good audience. There's about a hundred people and you have to kind of walk through the edge of the kitchen up onto the stage. Mm-hmm. And I'm emceeing again, I'm supposed to do 15 or 20 off the top, come back in between. And I start off, everything's fine. It's Saturday night. They're in a great mood. And I, and, and it's a stage and I'm being lit. The microphone works. Everything is sort of in my favor and mm-hmm. start off first five minutes. I mean, you know, maybe you've had this experience where it's like going great. And then something in the middle, I started to sort of get sort of rolling and then something missed, something missed. And then it just became dreadful <laughs> to the point where I get to the end of the, my 15 or 16, 18 minutes. And I go, well, it's time to get your show started. Comedian Ryan Long. Now I have to walk through the kitchen and then halfway through the audience to get out of the room. Right. And Ryan comes on stage. And he does this. He goes, hey, let's keep it going for your MC, Howard Glassman. And the only one keeping it going was Ryan Long. <laughs> it was, and all you hear is him, him clapping and me laughing. Uh-huh. It was just, they I, couldn't even come up with enough energy to keep no. it going. I, I have had that, and it's, and it's worse when you're hosting a multi-person you show, because I've had that where it's like, they love everyone except yeah. me, and just I don't know you. what it was, and you can, you can feel the audience, like, as soon as, oh, like, yeah. okay, the guy's, like, the, the act is like, okay, thank you very much, and it's like, oh, fuck, this guy's coming up again, yeah. Jesus. And I remember watching Ryan, who I think is great, and I'm watching him, and he's starting to wrap up, I'm like, 
what am I, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. I got to come back. And I sort of just did this sort of, you know, tried to be authentic. I said, I know, I know I wasn't your favorite at the beginning. <laughs> I, said, I, think, I think we can repair this. And I just gently pulled them back on my side. Right. Um, but yeah, I just love that whole, keep it going. And all you hear <laughs> is one hand clapping. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> right. Fuck Buddhism. That's what I hear. <laughs> That's right. But it was, it gave me, I, you know, it's funny about getting older that, and I had somebody say this to me and it was true about me at the time. I was working in a club and the, one of the waitresses had a, a, a boyfriend there, a little older than mm. me at the time. I was in my twenties in his thirties and kind of a Zen dude, I guess. But he was talking to me after the show and he says, uh, you're really funny. I said, thank you. He said, but I think this is going to be tough for you. I'm like, that's why do you say that? And he says, cause you care too much, right? You care too much about mm-hmm. what the audience thinks. And it's right. what we were saying earlier. I, I wish, you know, the old thing, I wish I knew then what I know now, because my energy on stage was really sort of, like I told you, Jeremy and I were very high energy. I want, like I, I idolized Robin Williams, Howie Mandel. I had that vibe. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. I could make people laugh, but it wasn't really who I was. And I had a real needy vibe about me. Right. That I can tell you, I was on stage just a few weeks ago, and I, I think the pandemic, if it did anything for me, it was just make the last vestiges of me giving a shit. What right. Some audience on Saturday night in Yuck Yucks thinks of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course I want to make them laugh, but I had a nice vibe the other night. It was almost like a tired vibe. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just so tired of being freaked out. That's how yeah. I started out. I was so fucking tired of being freaked out by everything all the time. And yeah. as you know from teaching, you know, all, all an audience wants is give me some truth to begin with. What's something mm-hmm. we can agree on? Well, we're all tired. We're all tired of Trump coming down from the, the escalator and the pandemic and the fuckhead, the uh, rallies and people yelling freedom. But... So I said that, and it was a real, like, a, I, I, the whole set was, I felt really good, because mm-hmm. I felt like I was being more myself. Yeah. There was, uh, I, so, not this, not this current reopen, but I think the one, like, before Christmas, I think, yes. was, like, one of the last times I yeah, did a yeah, club. Yeah. I, I did my first club set on Sunday in an, in ages. I, like, like last year was would have been the one previous to that. Right. Um, and it went, it went great. But, like, even back then, like, when, when we were still, still dealing with... Uh, the people standing out fry out, outside of hospitals screaming, yeah, yeah. like when when we had that level of anti-vax, anti-mask people. This is before the Freedom Convoy, but it was all that. I was doing jokes about that because it pissed me off, and I wanted to make it funny, and so I made it funny, and I told the jokes. And one of the guys who leads into the Gary David story, who will link in, friend of the show, you might have met him, Denny Grignell. He's um uh, he would have been on the yuck circuit around vaguely, that time. But I don't know him. Okay, he um uh he, he was at he was at the club as well. I think he was hosting that night, and um he uh he and I were talking in the green room after after my set, and he was like, and he he's, the words he said were, "You were really brave to do the anti mask anti vax stuff," and I was like, I was thinking to myself, "Well, no, I'm just that's my opinion." They're not in the audience because at that point you had to show that you had yeah, it. And exactly. if they, and if they snuck in, fuck them. And so you're not supposed to be here. And I'm going to tell you to your face, you're a fuckhead. So fuck you. Like it was just like, that's I'm a, done absolutely. with these people. Right. And so that's when I realized, oh shit, I'm doing the jokes I want to apparently. Cause I didn't care. I did not care about the, uh, I, I no. wouldn't agree with him. I wouldn't say that's brave. I'd say, you know what? Good for you. Like, wait yeah. a, it's, I don't know. Listen, yeah. you oh, heard, it's not like you were taking uh, what? Yeah, another another example of this. Um, you've done write them up. You know what the show is like, right? You come into you, you do the stand up, and then, and then you get the roasting, and everything's fine. I had a. a have, did you ever meet Cormac McGinnis? Yes, I know. Okay, who okay. So he, uh, is a funny man. I says, hey, you want to do my show? He's like, yes. So you're going to do my show, and so I'm in that panic before write them up where I'm waiting for the people to show up to watch it. And I need, I have eight people on the show. So it's always a fucking nightmare yeah. until I have all the drink tickets out of my pocket, knowing that all my ducks are in a row. And then, then that's it. And Cormax, he shows up early, you know, you know, ultimate professional, you know, look at him. And I go into the the room just before we're about to open up. And I, I've, I've said this on the sh- on the show before, but like he is, I have, you never see this of like pen hovering over blank page full lockdown, just not moving. And I went, dude, are you okay? And he's like, um, I'm trying to figure out my jokes to do tonight. To which I said, obviously, 
pick the funny ones. And so, <laughs> and so he went, well, yeah, but I wanted to do my gay material tonight. And I went, yeah, do your gay material. I've seen your gay yeah. material. It's great. He goes, but I'm worried about your audience. I went, fuck my audience. Because if they can't handle gay material, guess what? They found out they're not my audience. So fuck them, you know? Do the thing you're going to do. Well, I, and I and I can tell you, as I said earlier, you know, I, I learned, learned I, I just, over the th- many, many years of doing this radio show, I became, the Humble and Fred show has been on a long time. And one of the things that, our audience found us. We weren't mm-hmm. the most popular. We never had the biggest ratings, although we had very, very good ratings. We weren't the most popular show in town. We were always beat by the pop station. We were on an mm-hmm. we were on an alternative rock station. Right. But within the demo, we had great. You know, we have our, we our number one radio show, eighteen to thirty four men and women. But as I said at the time, listen, Wheel of Fortune's a much more popular show than Letterman. But don't tell me it's a better show. Mm-hmm. And and my point about that is not that we were Letterman, but w- our audience liked what we did, so we yeah. just did more of that mm-hmm. and less of the hey entertainment shit coming up. What about the movie? Like you know, we had a again. I know I said Donnie Coy was the fart guy, but we did stuff on our show about farting and going to the sure. bathroom that our boss fucking hated. Yes, hated it. Mm-hmm. And he said to me once, like this was a guy we didn't like working for, but he said at one point, if I hear any more piss and shit stuff from you guys, meanwhile, mm-hmm. it's the thing that most people, not that it was all that we did, but you know what right. it's like, it's, it's be real and people will mm-hmm. resonate. It resonates with you. The sticky stuff, yeah. no, not to be gross, but it's the <laughs> stuff, the human stuff is the things. Yes. Like they teach kids in radio now. Um, and it's, it's hilariously stupid to me. No one wants to hear about yourself. Don't talk about yourself. Right. To just talk about the music, talk yeah. about the whatever mm-hmm. the stories. And I get these kids that are interns for us. I say, no, it's the opposite. Only. Yeah. It's yeah. what you said about those kids you're teaching. Mm-hmm. By week four or five, and you start telling real stories. Yep. That's when it becomes good. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we do on our show. And I and I'm trying to do it more as a comic. Right. Which is talk about things. What you said. Talk about things I actually believe. Mm-hmm. And that are real to me, and also made me laugh. Yeah. Or, I or this other category I was going to ask you about. After doing it as long as we have, there's some stuff that isn't authentic and it's not real, but it's just I just know the structure's right, yeah. right? You know, like it's not. I did a tag this uh, set a couple of weeks ago. I had, was again, you know, it's funny being a comic. All of a sudden, you're going to do a, a, your set and you're thinking about it. All of a sudden, tags just appear out of nowhere mm-hmm. for some reason. Yes. But I did this tag and it wasn't real or authentic, but it was just a clever line. Right. And there's that too, you know? Yeah. The, um, uh, I, I, I love that advice they're giving to radio people because if we only knew something about Howard Stern, yeah, if we exactly. only knew what made that guy tick. Yeah. Um, let me tell yeah, you about the Humble and Fred a perfect show. example of a guy who made hundreds of millions of dollars just mm-hmm. talking about nothing but his personal, personal life. Yeah. Let me tell you, let me tell you about the Humble and Fred show. Okay. You came, I, I, you came into my purview when I moved to Toronto. When I was when I was doing the move to Toronto to 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 do stand up and 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 try to make a run at it and and all those things, and I found the station that spoke to me, which was CFNY, <clears throat> which was still CFNY at that time. And back in the day, my buddy would um who he and I were both like into like house music and the Chicago sound and that sort of thing. And at that point, Chris Shepard was the shit. Yeah. Right. So he Good would come bullshit. to Toronto to visit his cousin. And so they would go out, you know, clubbing and stuff like that. But he would record his radio show and then bring it back to Gann and go, dude, you got to listen to this and click. And then that was just us for like the next month. So and he's like, yeah, and their morning shows, Humble and Fred got these two guys. They're just crazy. I've never heard anything like it because you know we grew up with like the great white hunter on C- CKLC is like, and now here comes a really great impression of mine of the Godfather. And right. it, yeah. Anyway, so when I first moved here, I was like, oh, fuck, CFNY, I got to find these guys. And you were my you were my wake up every morning. It was it was, it was that and listening to listening to the the comedy and the jokes and the and the honesty and there was a reason because the, the CFNY was not the most popular station, but Very, it was the realest. Completely, it was the realest because like when Rush writes a fucking song about you, you're doing something right. And so and what they wanted to do was was create that sense of something, if I may coin a phrase, fiercely independent and made 
made the shows that they wanted to make and let the people come to them. And, and right. you know, even as, as the iteration of The Edge, as as corporate as that is, it's still one of my favorites. I, I find myself leaning more towards when I'm in Toronto, Indy 88, because it sort of has the same sort of roots. Well, it's a different CFNY, I mean, but, I, I mean, but thank you for those. And I can tell you from, again, The Edge CFNY audience, mm-hmm. um, we have an imprint on them because of a time in their lives, uh, the type of place it was. It was so different than the Chum FMs and the CHFIs. And mm-hmm. the music was not only the only station in Toronto playing that music, now, you know, like, like I listen to a lot of satellite radio because I like spoken word, but mm-hmm. the, the access to content, to curate content on your own now, like, you know, when Fred and I, are t- like Fred and I were talking this morning about something, and I can just get any song, he mm-hmm. mentions a song, and the next second it's playing because of Spotify. My right. point is, if you and I were on a road trip, let's say we're going back to Ottawa together, and we could just curate our own radio station, mm-hmm. depending on, hey, Todd, do you remember this song? You like the Chicago sound? Let's play some of it now. Yeah. Whereas Alan Cross, who worked at the, uh, the radio yeah. station back in those days, and, and very smart guy, but he coined this phrase that I often quote, that radio now is like an unprogrammable iPod, to use that. Right. But it's like, why would I listen... Even when I turn on the edge now, it seems weird to me. I'm waiting for somebody to play a song for me. I, I can do it myself. Right. I, I can even speak into this thing and say, mm-hmm. play the Chicago sound. Right. I don't, I, uh, uh, the reason I, 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 I like to gravitate back to radio from time to time, it's when I go, let's roll the dice. Yeah. No, I get you know? that. Let's Just give it a shot. Show me something. I know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm finding I'm shazamming songs out of commercials now. It's like, ooh, that's kind of nice. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, and it's because, you know, listen, we're, we have, you know, that phrase, spoiled for choice, but mm-hmm. I, I'm glad I did radio then. That was kind of like the last era. I, I know everyone's probably in every era says this, but it was one of the last times when a corporately owned radio station had a personality-driven morning right. show, and there were lots of them. You know, Derringer and Roderick mm-hmm. and Marilyn. There was it was a good time for about ten years where there was big morning shows. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, a lot of them have fallen away. You know, mm-hmm. all the people I just mentioned, except for Derringer, aren't really right. working anymore. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, even in the world of stand-up, it's changed. Of course, yeah. it's changed. Um, I think the kids now, and again, I, I've I've got a couple of favorites in Toronto, and I'm sure you've got some in in Ottawa that. You know, I just look at them in their 20s and how and how fiercely, honestly, how much more honest I see young people being than I would have been in my 20s. Mm-hmm. You know, like just the things they talk about, the, 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 the personal stories and the things that they reveal about themselves. There's no way I saw people doing that in the 80s. No, but here's I, I think I think it's also a sign of the times, right? Yeah. Because like in the 80s. 80s comedy, and I use this line all the time, welcome to 80s comedy where racism's totally cool and gays are weird. Yeah, And absolutely. so because there were targets, it was easy to hide because you could just go, hey, look at these, look at these weird people. And then you just, you'd throw them under the bus to protect yourself. And now because you're not able to do that, it really, it makes you open. It makes it makes you the target now, and so you're like, I well, what else am I going to do? I think that's a great observation, and it's I think it's really really true that when you know you would hear people say things, I was never really one for punching down. Part of it is because I'm Jewish, right? So I, you know, maybe I didn't punch down quite as much, but it was certainly this. It was certainly of an of a time when people did to hide their own insecurities, which Correct. we all do. But I um I love that that because you are no longer allowed to say all those mm-hmm. bizarre shit. Yeah. Um, you know, either you open up or, you know, you're going to sort of be left behind. Right. And it's not to say that conceptual comedy is dead. Like, you know, you can still have stuff that is, I'm not, not talking about like racially uh, or homophobically uh, conceptual. I mean, like stuff that is not honest. You can still yeah, have sort that, of like, you can, bit. yeah, you can, you can bit. have like, like you look at Todd Graham, you don't learn a lot about Todd Graham. No, but he's, no, I get it. He's like, hilarious, that's a great right? example, too. I love him, but we're mm-hmm. not, we, we don't, it's all just an act, but it's a good act. Right. You know, I will say this, um, I don't know how much time we have left, or but I, I got to get on this thing in about 10 minutes. But okay. I'll tell you, it's, right. one of the things I said on uh, the show this morning, I was talking to a guy, we're talking about comedy for some reason, and I said, the weird thing for me now is going on stage and doing jokes about being Jewish and having people be offended for me, even though I'm right. the one doing the exactly. fucking joke. And I've had to stop yes. and say, do yeah. you understand right. that you're going, ooh, on my yeah. behalf, uh-huh. and I'm the one saying it? Exactly. 
Look at what this hook-nosed hebe is saying about Jews. I know. I'm not having that. Like, listen, I'll let you know when you're supposed to be offended on my behalf. Right. But it's probably not when I'm doing yeah. the joke. Uh-huh. Right, Look at him going. giving himself his own pound of flesh. This sucks. <laughs> it's just, but that's one thing I, I have. Obviously, we've seen it is people are a little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit sensitive. I have that. Right. I have a whole section in my act about, mm-hmm. you know, Germans and how, uh, yeah. you know, a bunch of stuff. And I had this joke. I, again, I was one of those things that came up just sort of organically. I was telling the story about having to change planes mm-hmm. in Frankfurt on the way to France to spend time with one of my daughters. And I said, I get off the plane. There's about 30 of us. And, and all of a sudden, we're late for our, our connection. And a guy is like shepherding us off. We're running down a corridor. And we come around. And all I see is a, a tram to the other uh, terminal. And a guy sort of, you know, ushering us onto the train. And I'm like, ah, ah, Germany. Gorgeous. <laughs> Not gorgeous. again. Not this time. Once. But here's the great thing. I did that joke. And it was just all I had to do was go, uh-uh. And the fucking place went crazy. And it was yeah. one of the few times that I've done that where... The punchline was just either a look, a noise, but mm-hmm. they, I, I sold it enough that all I had to say was, uh-uh, and mm-hmm. then the tag, fool me once, Germany, yep. blah, you know, et cetera. Beautiful. Beautiful. But the part that they oohed was, I said, that shit's never going to happen again. I said, because of social media. Hashtag, don't get on the train. Now, Correct. Yep. Now, they laughed at the first part, but some of them went, ooh, and I'm like, it's okay, kids. I'm all right. Don't fucking worry. I'm right. the one making the joke. Yes. Yes. I think they were just ooing the fact that, you know, oh, my God, he knows hashtags. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when your mom figures out texting or That's signs right. up on Facebook, you're like, add your mom as a friend. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Life has changed. Oh, um, do you know the comic Ronnie Chang? Is that his name? Of course. Yeah. 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 Not he personally, but yes, bit. of course. I'm not sure if it's an old bit or a new one, but he does this bit about being, you know, trying to get his mother to do something online. Sure from half a world away it's it's really worth looking up it's so well okay, done I'll it's do like it. such a great version of that bit all right this is how I we're really ending like the this. episode you you uh you talking about ronnie chang homework. very nice that's it <laughs> homework giving a yeah, very nice um this is what we're gonna do howard first of all tell us uh how do people find you and uh and the lovely fred your fiercely independent humble and fred show where do people listen well, uh, we became fiercely independent a couple of years ago because we stopped all association with radio stations. We were on about five or six. Uh, we had a bit of a syndicated deal with um, Bell, and we finally said, this isn't serving us. And so we became independent, meaning that we're only going to do... We, we've always done the podcast for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. So about a year and a half ago, we said, fuck it, we'll just do a podcast. We'll do it on our own terms. And so you can find us every place that podcasts are sold or go to our site, humbleandfred.com. Beautiful. Awesome. And you're uh, beautiful. Oh, please. Come on. This Darcy character seems nice, but... Yeah, he's a little weirdo. Um, listen. Thanks for uh, inviting me. I appreciate being Anytime. Asked. We will do the photo, and then we'll do the intro, and then you can get off, and you can uh, go talk to Jeremy Hotz for us. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the Patreon people will get the uh, story about Gary David very quickly. Uh, and all you got to do is sign up at uh, patreon.com slash podcast. Three bucks a month. You get bonus content and this video that the audio people are not seeing. Darcy, where do people find you? Monty and Darcy on Instagram. Marvelous. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can find me at Hey It's TVA on all of the uh, social meds. That is Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, TikTok. My, Insta- my, uh, my OnlyFans is, what are you doing? Um, Howard, you have a question. Oh, no, I was going to say, um, for, for me, I forgot that I have yes. a personal uh, yeah, social. Yeah, do your, do your personal thing. Humble Howard Comedy on Instagram, yes. at HumHow on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's my favorite one. Hum how it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like a like a you do it show it's like you know, well, i want to tell you something before you wrap up i'll just say this okay. man you always make me laugh i think you're super funny and i think you're also uh sm- super smart too but you're a very nice person oh thanks it. man please tell hundreds of thousands of your friends i will i do my best <laughs> please if i do meet that. another hundred thousand people I'll all right tell them. <laughs> um this tva guy out Ah, geez. Um, what else we go? Oh, yeah, the show. You could watch that. I told you about the Patreon. You can follow us at CATP Podcast. That's right, folks. Cappy. Wherever you're listening, you know the drill. Give us a five-star rating. Talk shit about us in the commentary. Five stars. Shit about us in the commentary. You got enough ammo there. Uh, write them up shows are going to be coming up uh, in the next little while, virtual as well as live. You can follow them at write them up show uh, on all the socials as well, including TikToks. We have the TikToks now, including this show, which is at Comedy World of the Pub because some asshole sitting on CATP Podcast fucker um 
And uh, yeah, you want to know what I'm doing virtually or otherwise, you can go to HayesTVA.com slash calendar. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the wonderful Howard Glassman, the no longer erstwhile Darcy Finder, and myself, when you listen to Cat P, you're in for a good time. Jimmy and Bobby, you're always the podcats. Lately, lately, I find I rush.